You're listening to The Drive with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Before we get to Brian, I have to say, uh, as a missed opportunity from Kansas City, you can't recover the ball in Baltimore territory and not and come away with nothing. Nothing. And turn it over on fourth down. I mean, I get it. You want to try to go for the you want to try to go for sevens. I understand it. I at least would have kicked the field goal there. At minimum, I would have kicked the field goal. And then Lamar Jackson on the play has the ball tipped up in the air and he recovers it and runs for yardage. It's 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 gonna be a great game. That's all I gotta say. It's just gonna be a great game. 14-7, another four minutes before we get to halftime. But right now, let's turn our attention. For those of you on hold, hang with me. We'll take your calls in a couple of minutes. For those of you on hold, hang there. We turn our attention to the Brooklyn Nets. Brian Lewis has done a tremendous job. First of all, as a journalist and reporter for many years, and we've shared a couple of uh, venues (laughs) where we've covered some teams. But what he has done with the Nets over the past couple of years has just been phenomenal. So when I want to find out what's going on with the Nets, and I need to know what's going on with the Nets, I put my uh, staff to good use. We found Brian Lewis, and he joins us next here on 98.7 ESPN. Brian, long time, my friend. How are you? Long time. And, yes, we have shared many a press box together. (laughs) We've shaken our head at a lot of performances over the years. (laughs) That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, give me – here's my thoughts. I mean, I watched this net team early in the season, and I thought Jacques Vaughn did a tremendous job with finding them, giving them a way to win, finding them, you know, putting the team out there, doing some different things, giving them a spot. And they were – at one point, Brian, they were, what, two or three wins behind the Knicks? And then the Knicks took off, and they went south. Brian, what has happened to this team over the past six weeks? Well, you're right. They were they were sitting at 13 and 10, uh, frankly, without good health. Um, so you thought, all right, when they get their bodies all in order, uh, they can be even better. But yes, they've had a couple injuries, knocked them off course, and they have not been able to course correct. Uh, Chemistry is an underrated thing in the NBA. Uh, most fans just think it's just about getting buckets. But chemistry is, is an underrated and important and fragile thing. And they have not even come close to being able to recapture um, the kind of cohesiveness that they had earlier in the season. Now, they have, they have some glaring personnel flaws. Um, they could desperately use a playmaker. Um, they need some more shot creation. Um, they could probably use some more size, especially now. Um, and there have been, while I do think Jacques has done a decent job, particularly in the beginning of the year, um, there have been times when some minor adjustments have left them scratching their head, looking for answers. Hmm. Um, but, I would say at no point have I seen them just let go of the rope. They still play hard. They have just had an impossible time closing out games. Um, They'll blow a 14-point lead, and one game later they'll blow a 16-point lead, and the next game they'll blow a 20-point lead. Um, But they gave themselves enough runway. They couldn't blow the lead the other night. (laughs) They gave themselves so much runway. Brian, 
you've covered this team a while. What has happened to Spencer Dinwiddie? The special, the Spencer Dinwiddie that was here during Kenny Atkinson is not the same Spencer Dinwiddie that has come back to this team. What's been the biggest change in your eyes to him? Yeah, I think it's a number. Listen, first, Spencer does as much as anybody on that roster to take care of his body. I do not think we are dealing at a physical regression. I don't think that's the case. Mm -hmm. I think it's a combination of things. I think if you talk to Spencer, well, first off, he is no longer the focal point of that offense. Mm -hmm. He is no longer even a secondary uh, option in that offense, right? So if you look, his usage rate is down. His shot attempts are down because they are going to other players. Um, Cam Thomas, Mikhail Bridges, so forth, so on. So the volume stats are going to be down. Secondly, he's just, not only is he not the person that they're going to go to, but he is not what I would consider to be a core of the team. And he has said as much himself. When they are looking forward at the core of the team, Mikhail is part of the core. Cam Johnson, part of the core. Cam Thomas, part of the core. Nick Claxton, part of the core. Um, so I think you're looking at a Spencer Dinwiddie that um, has less responsibility in the offense, less placed on his shoulders, um, has to get the ball to other people, occasionally has had to play off the ball, which is absolutely not his strength, uh, and is not necessarily – part of the long-term planning here, mm. shall we say. Mm -hmm. I think all of those things combine, and this is what you get. I mean, when I but saw Dennis think, Smith get more... I do think Spencer's a, a solid player, though, and I do think Spencer could certainly help a contending team or a, a winning team because I think he has a lot left to give. Yeah, I agree, Brian. I mean, it's... It... It jumped out at me when I saw Dennis Smith Jr. get more minutes than Spencer Dinwiddie, and I'm like, okay, something's going on. <laughs> something's going on because that should not right. be the case. <laughs> you're not. You're not wrong. Um, <laughs> you're not wrong. And Spencer's a, a very intelligent young man, so I'm sure he sees the same things you see. <laughs> uh, Brian, how frustrating has this been for the front office? I mean, they kind of knew what the deal was going to be with Ben Simmons, but for it to be almost the same situation, status hardly changed but a little bit in the time that he's been here, and hopefully he gets a chance to be available tomorrow night. I mean, how frustrating has this been for them? Um, I would say quite frustrating. Um, and yes, the situation is largely the same. Now, what I would tell you is when you watched Ben Simmons play last year, well, you didn't get to see him play two years ago at all. Uh -huh. Last year when you saw him play, you saw a guy who was physically not ready and was borderline non-functional. When you saw him play this year, you could not deny that obviously he was healthier and obviously he had put in work because he was much more effective. I mean, he was averaging 10 rebounds a game, um, maybe whatever, seven assists, something like that. So he was a 
more functional player, not all-star Ben Simmons of several years ago, but better than he was last year. But now he hasn't played since November 6th, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So, yes, what we've had is an absent Ben Simmons, a Ben Simmons who's not available. One who teased them with maybe a little more playing ability than what they've seen last year, but has not been around. Um, so I think it's, it's fair, certainly, for them to be frustrated and question, well, exactly what can we get from him for the rest of the season? Uh, when will he be back? When he does come back, how long will he be back uh, before some other back issue crops up? So I would say overall it's probably been a frustrating situation for all parties involved, both sides, both Ben and Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Is he still available possibly for tomorrow? Do we know? Not to a certainty, but all signs certainly point that way. All right, um, good. I mean, that's, you know, what I've been hearing since last week, um, that all signs are pointing toward that, and he came through his work with Long Island yesterday in good shape. So unless something untoward happens, and they will have an injury report out probably within the next hour, mm-hmm. hour and a half. So unless something untoward happens, I, I would expect to see him soon enough. All right, sounds good. Brian Lewis is my guest. Beat writer for the New York Post of the Brooklyn Nets. All right, Brian, let's talk some positive things. Um, Mikael Bridges, I think, has been, yeah, he's had some trouble in a couple of moments, but he's been everything you've asked for him. Him and Cam Johnson, I think, along with Cam Thomas, I think is a nice little nucleus that you can do some things around, also with Nick Claxton in the middle. Uh, What does this team how does this this team feel about that group of building around them, and what do you think they do at the trade deadline? Well, okay. Uh, let's take one at a time. Mm-hmm. I would say Mikhail has been more than they could have even anticipated. Now, I do understand that there are segments of the fan base that are looking at Mikhail's season and – looking at it and saying, oh, this is disappointing and let's get rid of him and we thought he'd be better and we should get these picks, blah, 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 et cetera. But that's because they looked at him averaging 27 points a game in a tiny sample size last year and thought that's what he was, that he'd average 27 or maybe even 30. That's not what Mikael Bridges is. Uh, Mikael Bridges is a 3 and D player who's a great slasher off the ball and moves well. Um. If you look, every one of his offensive numbers is essentially a career high. The points, the rebounds, the assists, all of it. And his defense is better than it was last year. I think they, while nobody's ever untouchable, I think he is as close to untradeable as you could imagine. They have no interest in moving him. Um, They have turned down numerous offers. Mikael Bridges, and I assume there will be more offers coming in, and I presume they'll say no to all of those. Um, you mentioned Nick Claxton. Nick Claxton is, when I say an issue, I mean he's a good problem to have. He is a solid player. He's a good defensive player, and he's probably going to be a very expensive player. That's a guy that they've known for some time is probably going to be worth 90 95 maybe $100 million 
as a free agent. They want to keep him. He has said he wants to be here. Now it comes to finding a middle ground in the offseason and making sure you carve out enough money to pay him. Um, and Cam Johnson already got his money. So mm-hmm. We already see how, where his value lies. Oh, and of course, Cam Thomas, while he is extended already for next year, uh, it remains to be seen what kind of extension gets worked out. Um, because that's not a situation that I would think you would want to just play out that year. That's a situation where you're going to want to extend him. I just don't know what his value is. But I think, Nick, you're a little bit ahead of the game. I think we all can see roughly what kind of salary he's going to command. And it won't be small. Mm-hmm. So... Do they look at these, that group as something they can build around, Brian? Or they look obviously they're not going to move. What you're just saying, they're not going to move bridges at all. But are, are they think they think that that kind of nucleus they can do some things and, and build around? I think that's their intent. Mm-hmm. Now, as I said, obviously, if somebody comes in with an offer that just can't be refused, of course. But I do think that is the plan. The plan is to build around that nucleus and everything that the Nets have done over the last year has pretty much screamed to me reset for 2025. Mm. Although the timeline could change if a legitimate star that fit their timeline became available, right? Damian Lillard was not that star because by the time they'd be ready to compete for anything, he'd be old. Right, mm-hmm. and Donovan Mitchell, on the other hand, might fit that timeline. Somebody in that area, because most of your core is about 27 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do believe that they feel that Mikhail and Cam and Nick, these are guys that they can build around. Right, this is a core, and then we can start stacking things on top of that core. Um, that is why a lot of these picks that they have accrued, some of these picks are never going to be made. I would be stunned if they end up making all of these picks that they have. I'm saying going out for the past several years. Some of these right. picks were acquired for the purpose of turning them around and using them to acquire seasoned players that fit what they're looking to do. But I do expect Mikhail not to be used to dangle to get a player or dangle to get picked, I would expect you to be trying to find somebody that compliments Mikhail, whether that's another point guard or an off guard or what have you. One thing before we talk about the trade deadline, Brian, there was a report that a couple of folks had, had brought to our attention here that there was uh, allegedly a team offered four number ones for Mikhail Bridges and the Nets turned it down. I'm just curious, A, if you can confirm that, and B, I would think the ones were not lottery picks. <laughs> they were lower first-round picks. I was told that a team offered four protected picks. Mm-hmm. I did not know who that team was, mm-hmm. but I can confirm that a team offered four protected picks, and I wrote that. Uh, I believe who tried is the one that reported that that team, the Hoopside later reported that that team was Memphis. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. But that should give you an example of how highly they value. No, they love him. <laughs> Brian, they love him. <laughs> Not highly valued. They're in love. Um, what did they do at the trade deadline? Based on what you're saying about resetting in 2025, can we expect that they're not going to do much at the trade deadline? Well, I suppose that's subjective. I don't know what you would consider as much. Gotcha. Uh, I would say their three oldest players on this roster right, are the aforementioned Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, and Royce O'Neal. Right? Those three players are all 30 years old and are all, I suppose, probably not in what you would include in what Spencer himself has described as the core going forward. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And all of them have garnered interest from around the league. They were offered two first-round picks, I know, as fact, for Dorian Finney-Smith last year and turned it down. Royce O'Neal probably could garner a first-round pick. Spencer Dinwiddie, as we discussed, there are a number of teams that have some interest in Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, Atlanta being one of them. Um, reportedly, the Lakers have shown interest. So, I mean, there are a number of teams that have interest in Spencer. A number of teams that could use a veteran point guard who can get downhill. Mm-hmm. Um, now, depending on where you are at the trading deadline and depending on exactly what kind of value you could extract from a team and how heavy the protections are, I could see them being tempted to move any of those three. I can't guarantee you that they're moving all of those three, mm-hmm. but I could certainly see them deciding to get off of one, if not more, of those. But that also doesn't mean that they can't be biased. Just because you trade one of those players doesn't mean that you may not make a separate move elsewhere and bring in another player. So when people ask me, hey, are they going to be buyers or are they going to be sellers? I'm saying, well, it's not mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Just because you trade one player doesn't mean you may not trade for another player. I think they'll be both at the deadline. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Not a See, complete, I'm not saying a massive overhaul. Of the I got you. Either. I'm you. talking around the edge. Mm-hmm. Moves to lead to moves that could put them where they want to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes yeah. sense. See, this is the type of reporting you get when you follow Brian Lewis in the uh, New York Post. Brian, great talking to you as always, my friend. We'll chat down the line. Oh, thanks for having me. Anytime. My I pleasure. All right. Take care, Brian. Brian Lewis. When we return, we head back to the phones. We're approaching halftime and, uh, Kansas City and Baltimore, stuck, 14-7. We'll chat with you next on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to The Drive with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Interesting things to say if you're a Nets fan. and uh, They're in a tough spot. They're in a tough spot. Um, Mikel Bridges is, is a very good player. But he remember, he was fabulous in Phoenix as the sixth guy. But when teams prepare for you every night, it's, it's a different step. Okay, it's, a, it's an adjustment. It's an adjustment. And they are begging for some really good point guard play. I mean, begging. <laughs> begging for some consistent point guard play. 
And you can't rely on Ben Simmons. You just can't. You, you, you can't. He is like a gift at Christmas. Oh, maybe, maybe it's available. Maybe it's not. Maybe, yeah, maybe he'll play. Maybe not. you can't, you can't, if you get him, great. And so for them, they have a decision to make at this trade deadline. How far realistically do they think they can go? Realistically. How far do they think they can go? Can, can they, I mean, play on, play in team? I, I don't know. Do they, do they score enough to be a playing team? Do they play enough defense to be a playing team? I, I don't know. The current roster would tell you no. The current roster would tell you that they won't even be a play, playing team, even though I think they're, what, ninth at last look? They're right in, the, they're right in there. They're right there. But do you have the sense that they're gonna they can continue that? Which are the real nets? Well, the real nets unfortunately have been the team that can't seem to put people away. And in key moments in the fourth quarter, where you need to run some sets and do some things to set up your players, hasn't worked. They've not been able to do it. They've not been able to do it offensively, and they've not been able to do it defensively. And so until that changes, you know they are what they are. Uh, the Knicks are a different story, and we're still waiting to hear what's going on with uh, Julius Randle and his injury. But you know what? It's it's very simple. It's and see, this is why you. This is why you have to be you know, as a Knicks fan. That's why I tell you to follow the road that I am on, and that is enjoy the games, enjoy the game every game, enjoy that, enjoy what you saw against Denver, enjoy what you saw against Miami before the Randall injury. That's what you enjoy because the playoffs are a totally different scenario. Totally different scenario. And the question becomes, can you score at the level you're scoring now? Okay, can you score? Will you be able to get stops? Now, I think they'll be able to get stops pretty consistently. I think they will be able to. But as far as uh, scoring, you know, this team is up and down. You look at how they started the game yesterday where they were one in seven, one for seven, one for eight, something like that, and couldn't really get the ball. I mean, you know, what happens if Brunson has an off night? Okay, what happens, Randall, off night? What happens solid defense on one and the other one's not scoring? Where is that other scoring coming from? Okay? And even in the series against Miami, and listen, once again, I love Emmanuel Quickly. Emmanuel Quickly did not have a good series against Miami. He just didn't. Doesn't mean he's not a great player. It's not what that means. Doesn't mean he's not, doesn't mean he wasn't really good. Doesn't mean he was great offensively. He is very talented offensive player. But against really good defenses, can this team continue to score? Will they be able to score at the rate that you need them to score in in the postseason? And so that's the worry you have. That's what this Nick front office is looking at. All right, we, we need somebody that can give us some scoring. At the next level, in the playoffs, that's what you need. 
and you know that all comes into the process with Randall or without Randall. That's what you have to worry about. That's what needs to be done. That's what you're looking for. If you once again, if you're the Nick front office here, these are all the things that you have to take into consideration. So when you make that move for whether it's another guard to to score off of whether it's another big man that you're looking at, whatever that next move is and who you're giving up for that. That's what you have to be careful of. Now, do they, what do they say? Do they say, okay, let's just get the, once again, I think Randall has something to do with it. I don't know, but I would think if we think he's coming back, it's not serious, but it's, you know, he's going to be away for some time. Okay, then we're we're comfortable. He'll be okay. He'll recover. So we'll just try to get the point back backup point guard or backup score more scoring off the bench, whom we can also bring into if we need to go three guard offense or we need to make some changes or do some things. Okay, we'll do it that way. Let's go ahead. Let's make that move. All right, let's hold off to the big man because we know he's coming back and we think Mitch will be back eventually at some point in time. So we don't want a gluttony of big men that we're not gonna, you know, use. So we'll hold the fort, and that's what we'll do. Let's just get the, the next guard, and let's move on from there. All right, fine. But then in the offseason, let's see. Okay, then once again, offseason is where we make our – let's see who's available to make our next big move. Let's ride out what we have and see where this gets us. So they may do that. So There's just so many ways they can go. But I do think some of it, some of it depends on – what goes on with Randall? If they feel it's it's nothing, I'm not, and I hate to say serious because it's an injury, so you never know. But let's just say it's not it's not season ending. Let's put it that way. If they feel it's not season ending, then they may just write it out. Okay, this is what we have. We'll pick up a you know another guard, somebody off the bench. We'll do what needs to be done. We'll do that, and then we're good. That might be the way to go. But long term. As you sit and evaluate this Nick roster, which is what Rose and World Wide West and company has to do, they, yeah, they look now, but they also look for playoffs and then beyond. And for the playoffs, while they are playing very well right now, okay, you love how they're playing. You love the defense. You love that they're doing some things offensively. You love that. Still, you have to be mindful, and in the back of your mind, is this team good enough to score a bunch of points in the points in the postseason? And I'm not sure about that yet. I'm not. I'm just not. Especially when you start grinding and you know half court things slow down, and yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know. We'll continue the conversation next on 987 ESPN. You're listening to the Drive with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. It's the second game of our championship Sunday doubleheader when San Francisco and Detroit take the field around 630 tonight. That was Dan Campbell, head coach of the Detroit Lions, talking about the San Francisco 49ers. Of course, we're at halftime of the first game with Kansas City leading. But he made some great points. And it's the same thing we spoke with uh, Jay Bromley earlier. When you look at that Niners offense, I mean, just let's go back to last week. Christian McCaffrey, seven catches, 128 scrimmage yards. That's 98 rushing, 30 receiving. 
and two rushing touchdowns in the game against Green Bay. He can become the third player ever, along with Hall of Famer Marcus Allen and Terrell Davis, with 50-plus scrimmage yards and touchdowns in each of his first six career playoff games. And oh, by the way, he led the NFL in scrimmage yards 2,023 and rushing yards 1,459 and tied for first in scrimmage touchdowns with 21 during the regular season. That's one guy. <laughs> All right, that's one guy. Then that's the one running back. Then you look at your uh, wide receivers. Brandon Ayuk, 75 receptions for 1,342 receiving yards, seven most in the league, seven receiving touchdowns in the regular season. Debo Samuel, 60 catches, 1,117 scrimmage yards, 892 receiving, 225 rushing, 12 touchdowns, 7 receiving, 5 rushing in the regular season, had 9 catches for 189 yards and a receiving touchdown in the last meeting between the Niners and the, and the Lions. Oh, and by the way, there's George Kittle, the tight end. <laughs> 81 receiving yards, second career playoff receiving touchdown last week. 65 catches, 1,020 receiving yards. That's most among tight ends in the league this year with six receiving touchdowns, okay? Niners became the first team ever with running back, two wide receivers, and a tight end, each with 1,000-plus scrimmage yards in the same season. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? In other words, Aaron Glenn hasn't slept in two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) That's what that means. And that's what Detroit has to deal with. Defensively, that's what they have to deal with. Now, let's not make it sound like San Francisco has a night in the park either. Because David Montgomery has been outstanding. Jameer Gibbs has been outstanding. David Montgomery, 115 scrimmage yards and a rushing touchdown in the playoffs. Had 1,132 scrimmage yards, 1,015 rushing, 117 receiving, and a career-high 13 rushing touchdowns this season. He's had five straight 1,000-yard seasons. And Jameer Gibbs, 114 scrimmage yards, 74 rushing, 40 receiving, and a rushing touchdown in the divisional game against Tampa Bay. He could become the first rookie with rushing touchdowns in each of the first three playoff games since Sonny Michel did it in 2019. Ranked first among rookies in rushing touchdowns with 10, tied first in scrimmage touchdowns with 11, and third in scrimmage yards with 1,261. Combined, they became the first pair of teammates in NFL history with 1,000-plus scrimmage yards and 10-plus rushing touchdowns in the same season. And we haven't even talked about St. Brown or Sam Laporta, the tight end. So we always think about... And rightfully so. We always think about defense when we when we get to these championship games. And we always talk about all the offense that is compiled in the regular season. And it's similar to what I was just talking about with the Knicks because the playoffs are different. There's a lot of teams that you play during the regular season that aren't in your league that are don't compare to you that you are so much more talented than your opponent. But in the playoffs, it's closer. And in some cases, you will play teams who are more talented than you are. So while I give you these numbers, and I tell you that these numbers for these players are outstanding, 
and offensively, they are a juggernaut. What did we see from the Niners last week? We saw a Niners team that struggled. Okay. I mean, Green Bay was right in that game. Okay, we saw a Niners team that really, you know, they did not play well. Um, Tampa Bay, I mean, Green Bay was Detroit, Tampa Bay. We saw a team that, I mean, you know, they should have lost that game. But they were able to find a way to win. Some of that is talent. That's when Brock Purdy just said, you know what, forget how I played all that all previously. We're just going to march the team right down the field and see what we can do. Okay, that's the, that's, you know, that's what makes them good. That's when your talent helps you take that next step. Baker Mayfield did not play badly last week for Tampa. Did not. And yeah, we can point, we could point to clock management. We could point to timeouts that were not taken. We could point to missed field goals. There's a number of things we can point to. But for most of that game, San Francisco did not play as well. And obviously, not having Debo Samuel is a major factor. Now, he is eligible. He is available today. I don't know what kind of condition he's going to be in. I don't know how effective he's going to be. Only time will tell. But this should be a really, really, really good game. And the defenses on both teams are going to be challenged. They both are going to be challenged today. And it is going to be the defense that gives up the one that gives up the least amount of big plays and the one that forces the most turnovers are the ones that are going to be able to win, uh, help their team win this game. Purdy has got a lot of pressure on him. You're starting to hear people talk about, well, you know, he's okay, but you look good last week. When the you know last year he was spared, didn't play in the game because he was hurt. Was Brock Purdy really Brock Purdy? We'll find out today. We'll find out. This will tell us a lot. Is it a defining moment for him? Maybe unfairly, it will be viewed that way. Just like it is being viewed, if indeed, and you've heard the comment commentators talk about it. It's the same thing today for Lamar Jackson. If he doesn't win this game. Even though he would lose to whom most consider arguably is the best quarterback in the National Football League in Patrick Mahomes. Even if he loses to Mahomes, there's going to be a narrative that Lamar Jackson is going to have to deal with. And they may not, they may, if they lose, it might not be because Lamar Jackson played badly. But it's because he did not take them. He did not elevate them. That's how it's going to be spun. It's going to be an interesting second half. For me, uh, I think if you're Kansas City, you're concerned. You have to be concerned. Because there's opportunities that you should have made that you didn't, uh, you know, you didn't take advantage of. The missed fourth down play, I think, should have been another score. Okay. Now, you did get a field goal before the half, so you're up 17-7. But you need to put some more distance between you and this Ravens team because Lamar Jackson is still a very dangerous quarterback. 
And, um, you know, they still have a shot to win this game. We'll continue the conversation next on 98.7 ESPN.